In this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder will be leading Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry in some conversations about the work of the Holy Spirit. And the text they'll be studying is Romans chapter 8. Rasul, you've told us that it's your favorite chapter in the Bible. How did you describe it? I describe Romans 8 as like a multivitamin <laughs> that has all of the different nutrients that one could possibly need to understand who we are in Christ, how do we live, and what God's presence is throughout the entire process. Yeah, is it's it, awesome. Do you have to swallow it or is it chewy? <laughs> oh, it's the flavorful, chewy kind. I it's think. gummy. I'm in the then. Gum- <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I think in Romans chapter 8, we have concentrated into one space more teaching on the Holy Spirit than any other single chapter in the New Testament. And so join the group as we go to Romans chapter 8 to talk about the aspect of that multivitamin that helps us understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Another study with the Discover the Word group begins next. And it is good to have you here for another edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And we have found that engaging with the scriptures, with this community together dynamic, has been tremendously helpful. And so I think we're going to profit from spending the next hour or so reflecting on what Bill calls, arguably, the single greatest, most comprehensive chapter in scripture regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so pull your chair up to the table. Let's explore one of the Bible's great chapters, Romans 8, and what it has to say about the work of the Holy Spirit. Bill? I don't know how you guys think about Scripture, but sometimes I kind of identify events with chapters. Hmm. So if I think about John 4, I'm thinking about... Samaritan woman. Woman at the well. well, right? Mm -hmm. Genesis 1. Creation. Creation Mm -hmm. account. This is a Bible contest. I like this. Isn't this fun? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean, you know, you think of certain chapters... And your mind automatically goes to certain places. First Corinthians 15. Resurrection. Yeah, resurrection. The, the most comprehensive and dense treatment of the resurrection anywhere in the Bible. And it's packed into First Corinthians 15. It's really interesting. Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Life in the spirit. All yeah. things work together for the good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the next verse is even better, that God purposed for us to be conformed to the image of his son. So you yeah. say, yeah, what's your right. purpose yeah. in life? Well, it's to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, Rasul, you've told us that it's your favorite chapter in the Bible. Mm. How did you describe it? Mm. I describe Romans 8 as like a multivitamin (laughs) that has all of the different nutrients that one could possibly need to understand who we are in Christ, how do we live, and what God's presence is throughout the entire process. Is it awesome? Do you have to swallow it or is it chewy? Oh, it's the flavorful, chewy kind. It's a gummy. I'm in then. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and ends, as you said, Lisa, with no separation, mm-hmm. which is really kind of a nice set of bookends Beautiful. for everything that comes in between. But also the no condemnation of verse one is almost a response to 
the all are condemned in chapter 3. So in chapter 3, everyone's condemned. But then we come through the teaching on the doctrine of salvation and all those things, and you come to 8, and there's no condemnation to the ones who are in Christ Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. So from all are condemned to there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ is the progression of what Paul's trying to teach the Romans about, as you said, Russell, relationship with God. Now, you also described it as life in the Spirit. Yes. And I love that because that's what we're going to be talking about on this set of conversations. There's a lot of teaching in the New Testament, particularly on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What are some things that other places in the New Testament tell us about the work of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, so mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, yeah. etc. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most astounding things to me in the entire New Testament is Jesus saying, it's better mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. that I leave you mm-hmm. so that you can receive the gift of the yeah. Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's yeah. talk, I mean, that's... that's it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If we had been there, it'd be like, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, I'm yeah. pretty sure the disciples went, eh, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. But just the whole promise, you know, that he will interpret sin for you, that will convict the world in terms of sin and righteousness, that he will bring to your remembrance things that Jesus has taught you. This, I will not leave you as an orphan. His roles in our yeah. life. In the Upper Room Discourse, which is what you're talking about, of course, Elisa, in the Upper Room Discourse, it's almost as if Jesus is forecasting in advance this amazing person who's going to take up residence in our lives. And he forecasts it by saying, this spirit which has been with you will be in In you. you. Mm. Now, that's one that just kind of Mm. takes my breath away. You know, I really like that, Bill, because we often, I'm not trying to say this is right, and maybe you don't do this, but we often think the Holy Spirit just showed up, you know, in the New Testament at Pentecost. Mm. You know, we forget that he's always been in relationship, you know, with the Godhead and that he's always been with us Mm -hmm. and now he'll be in us. So that's Mm -hmm. a helpful distinction. And that's a a helpful distinction when you're reading the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. And you have in Psalm 51 where David prays, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Mm. But it seems like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would anoint or come upon people for specific seasons of things that God had called them to do. And then the spirit would go away. But the Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives so much so that Paul describes our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. when you think about it. I want us to dig into Romans chapter 8 together because I think in Romans chapter 8, we have concentrated into one space more teaching on the Holy Spirit than any other single chapter in the New Testament. Hmm. And there's a lot of stuff in here. We're going to get into some of it. We won't get into all of it by any means. So let's begin. And Elisa, would you begin by reading us verses 1 through 4, please? Sure. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so you have that terminology of walking in verse 1 and verse Mm -hmm. 4. And when we see that in the New Testament, what's it talking about when it's talking about walk? Kind of following in the same way that the disciples followed Jesus mm-hmm. and were learning from him to then 
mirror what he was doing in their lives. It's kind of a similar idea where we kind of learn who God is, how God works in the world with the goal of becoming like God in that way of loving others or caring for others. And so it's kind of like the way we live our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say that walk is this metaphor for what characterizes one's life, you know, how you live. Yeah. Yeah. We even have an expression. Don't just talk the talk. Walk Walk the the walk. walk. Yeah. (laughs) Be genuine. Be authentic. Be real. Mm -hmm. Live what you say. Don't just say what you say. And that's really what Paul is talking about, how we live our lives and the contrast between verse one and verse four. In verse four, we do not walk according to what? The flesh. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we're immediately given two different spaces in which we can live our lives. One, by Paul's writing here, is not a wise way to go, and the other is the only wise way to go. So when the Bible, and especially in Paul's writings, he uses this language a lot. When he's talking about the flesh, Mm -hmm. what's he talking about? Just our human nature. Yeah, like our human nature without God's influence on it. So like the what causes us to give in to temptation, to sin, to hurt others, to be dishonest, those types of things. It's kind of like all of our defaults before God shows up. Yeah, I would just say when I think of the flesh, one thing that it doesn't mean is just our physical bodies that is sometimes misunderstood. And that's been the source of all types of Mm -hmm. misinterpretations (laughs) about the nature that God has, that God loves the physical world and the material world and our and our physical bodies. But the flesh, the sarks, right, mm-hmm. is this aspect of Paul describing the aspects of ourselves that are carnal or mm-hmm. that are oftentimes self-gratifying in a sense or mm-hmm. seeking the shortcut or in contrast to that part that would be the spirit. Okay, so that brings me to the next question. How does that contrast to the spirit? other than the fact that flesh, at least in our physical bodies, is tangible and spirit is not tangible. Well, I wonder if the fruit of the spirit helps us a little bit. So if the fruit of the spirit is love, the fruit of the flesh would be not being loving. Mm -hmm. The fruit of the spirit is joy, then be full of despair, maybe, or lack of joy. So the fruit of the spirit are those attributes that look like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. If we exhibit those, we only do so by the Spirit's work in us naturally left to our own means without God's help. We're going to look like the works of the flesh. And the interesting thing about it is that there's some element in this where we choose. We choose how we're going to walk. We're not robots. We're not automatons. We're not these machines that God made to do a certain thing and to do it exactly this way and only that way, by giving us freedom of choice, we can choose to be selfish. We can choose to be unloving. We can choose to be a lot of ways. But when we're doing that, one thing is for certain, we're not walking according to the Spirit because that's not what He desires to produce I think of it like the the direction our life is pointing. Is it pointing towards God or away from God? You know, I think of it as, am I bent toward Him in my best desires? I mean, we can get all stuck in this and think, well, I'm not perfectly perfect. Well, no, we're not. But what direction is my heart pointed? Yeah, somebody said it's not about the perfection of our lives. It's about the direction of our lives. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about how I answered that question earlier. And 
I'm realizing I don't know that it was a complete enough idea because what about those people that are not following God but are kind and generous and full of joy? Mm-hmm. So how do we make sense of this language of walking by the flesh or walking by the Spirit when we know a lot of people that would not call themselves Christians in any way but are some of the most kind, patient people that we know? Well, I think you know, we have to always keep in mind the fact that every human being has a certain capacity to fulfill the image of God in which they were created. Hmm. And I think if we're created in the image of God, everybody has the some capacity to live that. But what the Spirit of God does is comes in and energizes and enables us to make that our walk, to make that the hmm. primary characteristic of our lives so that we're not a one-off or the exception to the rule. But This is just the normal direction of the way our lives are going because we are not walking according to flesh, Mm -hmm. but according to under the guidance and direction and leadership of the Spirit. So there's a sense as we live out our lives, is our life going to be lived in agreement with Mm. fleshly desires that take us the wrong direction or is it going to be lived in agreement with the desires and purposes of God in us? Yeah. And mm-hmm. somewhere in this is going to be this tension between where we choose to follow the Spirit, but where the Spirit also is the one enabling and helping us do whatever it is that mm-hmm. we're trying to do, whether that's be kind or selfless or loving. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can choose to be loving, but we also need the Spirit's help to actually be loving. Yeah, and I can't speak for anybody else, but I know for myself, there's more than enough work that I need to do (laughs) to determine what are my motives. So who knows what might prompt, (laughs) you know, a certain type of external generosity. And I'm not saying that people don't have it, but what I am saying is that there's a, a fundamental difference when I'm doing it as an expression of that intimacy that I have with the spirit yeah. versus from my own yeah. self-interest. Yeah, there's almost an intentionality mm-hmm. that's involved in it where we choose to live in agreement with the spirit as opposed to in agreement with our own desires. Okay, this set of conversations, we're working through Rasul's favorite Bible chapter, <laughs> Romans right. chapter 8. And It is a spectacular chapter from beginning to end, but our focus for our conversations is to look at the places where it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And in our first conversation, what did we see about the work of the Spirit? That it is in contrast to the work of the flesh and that we have no condemnation because of the work of the Spirit, which enables us to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, the imagery Paul used was the imagery of walk, which is a lifestyle type of metaphor. So we walk in agreement with the Spirit. I think Paul also talks about in other letters about walking in step with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is that the chapter started off with this contrast between flesh and spirit, and that keeps going. And he's talking about it in almost abstract way until he gets to verse 9. And then there's a change. And I want, Elisa, if you would read verses 9 through 11 for us, please. Sure, sure. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm finding myself kind of chuckling as we're reading because I think, Elise, it was either you or Bill or Leon mentioned how full this chapter is of ideas. 9 through 11, those are some confusing verses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I was hoping you were going to explain them to us, Dan. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Yeah, there's this thing called the flesh and this thing (laughs) called the spirit. And and something's happening. They work together somehow, yeah. (laughs) What's interesting in Paul's argument is that he moves from abstract to personal. He moves from talking about the flesh versus the spirit to talking to his audience. But you, Uh he goes to second person, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What's the condition? If If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Okay. In verses 9 through 11, three times he talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling. Now, what do you make of that? Well, I think it's confusing because this almost feels like he comes and goes or something. I mean, he's writing to believers, but it's like qualifying over and over again. Is he dwelling in you? It begs the question to me, does he mean, are we dwelling in him? Is that really what he's suggesting? Because the Spirit didn't leave us. Well, it gets even more confusing if we think about where the story of the Bible begins, because God takes dirt And he breathes his spirit, his Mm -hmm. life into that dirt and it becomes alive. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is like, is anything that's alive have the spirit of God in it? Uh Which would make it a whole nother level Mm -hmm. of confusing as we look through this. Because it seems like he's saying something different here than that. Thank you. I needed more confusion. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, (laughs) when I think about that word dwell and the contrast between the fact that post-fall you do see moments where the spirit anointed or empowered people for a specific time in a particular mm-hmm. task. But as we saw with Saul, you know, the spirit would depart. But then the moment of Acts chapter two with the spirit filling the church is a new day mm-hmm. where now all of a sudden that which was working from the outside is now working from within. Yeah, And I think Paul is saying that if you have accessed that that transition, if you've accessed God's spirit through Christ, then, oh, it's a whole new ballgame now. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what I get from this, too, Rasul. I don't claim to be smarter than anybody, but I don't find a lot of confusion here. He was pointing at us, though, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you were talking about how confusing this was. To me, it's clarifying. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not Christ. In other words, everyone who knows Christ as Savior has the spirit living within them. If you don't have the spirit living within you, you don't belong to Jesus. I mean, to me, that's pretty clear. And as a kind of a secondary thing, it seems to me that this to me almost feels like a necessary implication is if you are Christ, you must have the spirit. That means the moment you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit in that moment. Yeah. So that all of Christ's people have his spirit. Well, that's what he should have said. (laughs) 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 I think part of it is Paul tends to use the double negative. And, you know, so he says, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Well, that just sounds like I'm cut off and I'm going to be in hell and I'm doing it all wrong because that's my stuff. I know. But if he just said, (laughs) if he just said, hey, if you love Jesus and accepted him, spirits in you. Then I'm like, okay. Yeah. To me, that's how I read it. But I think (laughs) it still taps on this mystery that we bring with us into every single conversation we ever have that, oh, it it seems like it could be that. Mm -hmm. But then we also have... The fact that it's the spirit who's at work and God does what God does in God's way and God's timing. 
And in some ways, we're also just along for the journey of what God's doing. And so there's always that confusing aspect in the middle of trying to figure out how it works. And oftentimes when we start thinking about the how, we get lost pretty quickly. Yeah. When we start talking about mechanics of things, that's where we kind of lose our way. Mm. If we can kind of accept the fact or the reality or the promise, if you will, that's a whole lot easier for me to get my little brain around than trying to figure out all the how. I mean, just think about the word dwell. What does it mean to dwell? We dwell in houses, so -hmm. it's like a taking up residence in or living Mm -hmm. within. Or there is an element of safety Mm -hmm. and rest and protection and provision in that concept of dwell. I mean, it's home. Yeah. You know, and and again, this is me. Just knowing that the Spirit dwells in me, I get that that He's taken His home in me. That I'm His temple. I'm His tabernacle. I'm the place He lives. You know, that is so rich to me. And if you ask me, Bill, you know, how I understand that, I draw on that all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, just last night I I couldn't sleep and I read Psalm 91 verse 1, which is, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will find rest in the shadow of his wings. And I was thinking about that word dwell. And I mean, you can definitely leave. I mean, you can take off and go somewhere else. But the beauty of the Spirit is that he dwells in me and he stays. Yeah, that idea of dwell, there's another New Testament word that pops up frequently, especially in Jesus' teaching, that is a kind of a parallel word, and it's the word abide. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, dwell in me, stay connected to me, that kind of thing. Okay, so to dwell means to be at home, to be safe, to be at rest. Okay, what does that mean for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us? Yeah, I think about the amazing, I don't even just want to say potential, but the reality that we have access to, that our spirit resonates or kind of mm-hmm. his spirit connects with our spirit. We, we, we Like Bluetooth, we're paired, <laughs> you know what I mean? And That's that pairing somehow gives me connection and and access to that which I would not have had otherwise. But sometimes that is still a dueling reality that is really wrestling with this other part of my nature, my flesh. Dwelling means that I'm not asking God to do something extra. Like I'm asking, you know, the spirit Mm -hmm. to live in me and me to yield to it. That's like such a dynamic and much more optimistic place to be in terms of how I live my life. Think about how much dignity it gives to the fact that God would want to live in human beings. This is a universal invitation that God wants to dwell Mm -hmm. in humans and the dignity that that Mm -hmm. brings, that Mm -hmm. God would choose you, he Mm -hmm. would choose me as his home, as his dwelling, as his place that he calls home. That's mind-blowing. And I think that the context that we see here is exactly that tension in Romans 7. You know, Paul is talking about the good that he wants to do, he doesn't do. And, yep. and oh, uh, wretched man, oh gosh. who will deliver me from Amen. this body of yeah. death? And mm-hmm. then he answers the question, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ. And then, therefore, there's no condemnation. And then, I mean, verse 11 really ramps it up. when he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That's the access to the power wow. that you have. And the wow. promise that's attached to that, yeah. in a sense, is Hebrews 13. Be content with this, for 
the Lord has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, he's moved in and he doesn't ever plan on moving out. Mm. He's present and will be, and we can count on that presence for the rest of our lives. You're listening to Discover the Word and a series of conversations about the work of the Holy Spirit based in Romans chapter 8. And in that segment, they were talking about the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, what that means and what that looks like and how to embrace this aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. Well, the group will continue this study after a quick word about another Bible engagement resource from us here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. Discover the Word is part of Our Daily Bread Ministries, a ministry that's been telling the story of Jesus for almost 85 years through radio and now podcasts, through television and video, with printed materials and internet resources like the Our Daily Bread devotional and our Discovery series, Bible Study Guides. And I'd like to take just a moment to connect you with that Discovery series right now at discoveryseries.org. You'll find a library, a collection of Bible engagement study guides on a variety of topics and passages that can be a real boost to your spiritual growth. There are over 150 titles currently available. And I think this week's topic of the Holy Spirit here on Discover the Word offers a great way to introduce you to the Discovery Series. When you go to discoveryseries.org, type Holy Spirit into the search and you'll immediately have access to several studies on this topic, including one Bill Crowder wrote on Romans 8 called Free in the Spirit. These studies are not long, and you can likely read through each in 15 minutes to a half hour. So I hope you'll take some time to explore the Discovery Series at discoveryseries.org. And now let's continue the study of Romans 8 and what we find there about the work of the Holy Spirit. In this segment, they're going to explore what it means in Romans 8.14 when it says that we are led by the Spirit of God. Let's listen. Have you ever taken a trip that involved having an experienced guide leading the trip? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. What was that like? Well, we went to Normandy, mm-hmm. you know, the site of D-Day, the invasion um, of World War II, and we had a young guide who, no way was he living during that time, but oh, he knew everything. And he brilliantly drove us where we needed to go. It helped us get lunch at a very quick out-of-the-way place. I mean, it was just, we'd stand on the on the shore and he would just lecture to us. It was so awesome. Mm. We had to do no work, but just soak it up like sponges. That's good. Mm. Yeah, the best tour guide I ever experienced, his name was Asaf in Israel, mm. the first time I went. And he would just get to a place and he was so knowledgeable, but it wasn't just the knowledge. He told the story well, Mm -hmm. spun a good yarn, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just kind of drew you in Hmm. to history that was meaningful and fresh and exciting Mm -hmm. in a way. And it was just incredible to have him Mm -hmm. just guide us throughout the process. We'd ask him a million questions Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. stops. And he was so not just patient, but enthusiastic about Mm -hmm. sharing Mm -hmm. with us about his culture. And basically the quality of the trip is often determined by the quality of the guide. Mm -hmm. If you get a really good guide who loves doing this Mm -hmm. and it's almost, it's almost like street theater. Mm -hmm. It can be really entertaining as well as informational. Mm -hmm. If you get one who's just kind of punching the clock and this is the group for this 
time. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, we had a couple of those kind of at Universal Studios tour uh, when we lived in Los Angeles. And when we had a good tour guide, you get all these really cool, interesting things that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. So having a guide can be very, very Mm -hmm. helpful. Mm -hmm. And that brings us back into our conversations this week from Romans 8 on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so far we have seen that he enables our walk, our daily life. We walk according to or in agreement with the Spirit. And then in our last conversation, we saw that he indwells us. He actually takes up residence within our lives, which is amazing. For our third one, Daniel, would you read verses 14 through 15? Sure. So Romans 8, 14 through 15, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I would imagine that's like sons and daughters of God. Well, there are two different views on it. Some see it as it could be sons and daughters, or some see it specifically in the Roman concept of sonship, where if you were adopted into a Roman family and declared to be a son, that gave you certain status and certain inheritance and all that kind of stuff. So it's not just about a place in the family. It's a place of status within the family. The Hmm. culture of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, it sounds a whole lot like a guide to me, someone who will (laughs) lead us and guide us as we go through life. And we kind of talked about that a little bit and talked about walking in agreement with the Spirit. That kind of implies that the Spirit's leading and guiding us as well, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that we might experience this leading? What would it be like? I mean, I know that this gets very subjective and, and for some people it gets very uncomfortable because we have different imaginations about how the Spirit might communicate His desires to us. So how might we be led by the Spirit? I think of times of discernment where we're trying to figure out something, whether it's a job or whether we should move somewhere or what church to go to or something like that. Who to marry. Yeah, who to marry. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we kind of listen to the advice of the people around us. Maybe we're reading in the scriptures and we find something that really jumps out to us that we just happen to be in this passage at this time or whatever. And then we kind of sense maybe a spirit of peace Mm -hmm. as we think about that decision. And so putting all those things together, we make a decision and we look back and realize it was the right decision and say, oh, I I guess God was leading me through Mm -hmm. that or something like that. So that's maybe one way. very subjective, but, yeah. uh, but that's okay. Cause we all live the Christian life. If I can put it that way, we all live it as individuals mm-hmm. yeah. as well as part of a corporate body. We don't want to forget that piece of it either. Mm-hmm. Cause when the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy spirit, it's not just us individually. It's corporately as yeah. the body of Christ as well. Yeah. So I think of a couple of things here. One, I like to zoom out and remember mm-hmm that Paul is writing not just to explain theological truth, but to exhort people to do something different Mm -hmm. based on that. And so when I think about those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, he's already established the theological truth that the Spirit indwells in us. And so therefore we have access to power, to protection, to guidance that we didn't normally have. But now there's also this responsibility. There's this ethical component that we can choose to be led by the spirit or choose to be led by our flesh. And what does that look like? 
you know, it looks like the difference between the, the deeds of the flesh that we see in Galatians, you know, five versus the uh, fruit of spirit. Um, it looks like, am I being selfish? Am I being self-gratifying? Or am I trying to position myself to express what I see is true of God? And that somehow that expression is also now evidence of the fact that he is truly indwelling in me. It's really good, Russell. It is really good. And I think the way it plays out can be in things lining up the way Daniel just described. But there can be also, just to represent this, <laughs> real clear nudges that are yes. the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I mean, I remember mm. a call to mops and I remember feeling so disqualified. Why would God even want me to apply for this position? And I really sensed him as I stood in the grocery line. I just sensed the spirit saying, look around you at all mm. the other moms. And they were just as out of control as I was with their kids. You know, mm -hmm. just like they didn't know what they were doing. And and I sensed an invitation to be honest about my own inadequacy yeah. in mothering if I took that role. And it was a very personal. Nobody said it to me. It wasn't an out loud voice, but it was a very clear voice yeah. inside me going, you know, why don't you just bring your own sense of vulnerability, Elisa? Mm. And a lot of times, I mean, I've shared before that sometimes I get all verklempt about even being here at the table and discover the word. I'm like, I don't know everything about the Bible. And I have sensed the spirit going, Elisa, that's why it's called discover mm. the word. And every time I come to be with you guys, the Spirit reminds me of that. You don't have to have all the answers. Just let me dwell in you. Going back to how we talked about the other conversation of welcoming him, inviting him in, you know, let me be with you. And, and I really think about that, especially as we're having this conversation of, am I inviting him? What does he want to say? How are we to be together at this table for everybody else who's listening with us and learning with us? Yeah. You know what else I see in this too is in verse 15, it goes on to kind of describe maybe a little bit of what being led by the Spirit of God looks like because it says you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear. That's good. Yeah. But receive the spirit of adoption whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So if anything, there's a little criteria there. If whatever's happening inside of us is leading to fear. Excellent. It's not then God. That's not the work of God. Yeah. If it's leading to trust in Abba Father, in our daddy, and our God who cares for us. And mm -hmm. if it goes to inadequacy and disqualification because I'm not enough, okay, that's not of God either. I think, too, to bounce off what you're mm -hmm. saying, Daniel, it, it reflects what Rasul was saying earlier access. We can cry, Abba, Father. Why? Because we have the Spirit. Why do we have the Spirit? Because we're God's children. Mm -hmm. So we have access to his leadership and guidance in a way that someone who is not his child does not have. Yeah, I think there is a tension between the type of leading that is this supernaturally revealed way in which almost with neon lights, God can be saying, this is the direction to go, right? But then there's this other aspect of leading, which I think is oftentimes neglected, which I think maybe upwards to 90% of the type of leading that God calls us to do as a result of being led by the spirit is actually very clearly laid out in scripture. Like yeah. I, I know mm. if someone wrongs me and it's like, should I forgive <laughs> or not? You know what I mean? Like, like a coin. Exactly. <laughs> what it means to be like in the same way with the parental standpoint. So this is why it's so helpful that it talks about the adoption of mm. sons, right? Any of us who've lived under our parents, Oh, about 90% of what our parents would say or do at a certain point <laughs> of I, I, if, what would they do in this situ yeah. situation. 
And it's just a matter of will I choose to be led and live out the sense of the adoption that I've already experienced or will I choose not to? Yeah, sometimes that leading is necessary because we aren't sure what to do, what direction to take. And sometimes it's pretty clear the direction we should take and we need to let the Spirit lead us there. Well, another good part of our conversation based on what Romans 8 says about the work of the Holy Spirit. And where in verse 14 it says that we are led by the Spirit of God. So you've heard of the five love languages, right? Five ways that people receive and express love in relationships. Have you ever determined what your primary love language is? Well, words of affirmation is one of those five love languages. And you know, even if that isn't your primary love language, well, the fact that we're human means that there are some times when you need to be reassured. Even the most secure people have moments of self-doubt and insecurity. And so it's not surprising that one of the ways God communicates his love for us is through words of affirmation. Let's explore with the group how one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to reassure us. How it's expressed and how it's received is what we'll discover together in this segment. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you needed reassurance about something? (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. I think about when I was learning how to drive Mm. and the driving instructor, first day, like he arrives at the car, has me go to the driver's side and takes me immediately to the highway. And I was petrified. Uh And he was like, you can do this. You got it. And just kind of talk me through it. But that was jumping into the deep end. So Mm. good. Trying to think of only one time that I've needed reassurance. (laughs) I feel like it's pretty constant. Yeah, maybe early on in dating my wife, needing her to reassure that she really did Mm. like hanging out with me and things like that. I mean, early on in a relationship especially, it Mm. can be really hard to trust that the other person's actually going to stick around. Yeah, whether they're as invested as you are. I mean, nobody wants to be in one of those upside-down relationships where you're deeply invested in the relationship and the other person Mm -hmm. isn't, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just think about parenting, you know, how many nights I'd put my little toddlers to bed and think, oh, did you give these children to the right parent, God? You know, I'm going to ruin them. And, you know, just needed his reassurance mm-hmm. that he would parent with me, mm-hmm. that I wasn't alone mm-hmm. in the process, that I really did love them. I knew yeah. I loved them, but, you know, that he would help me parent. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I think about the need for the reassurance that God even exists and Mm. that he's there. Mm -hmm. You know, we often think about faith as something that like you get it figured out and then you're just confident God's with you forever. But I think the way we live our experience most of the time is not that, which is much more like, all right, I remember a few (laughs) years ago feeling real confident you were here, God. Could could I have one of those experiences now again? That's good. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it's because our experience needs to catch up with our knowledge. I mean, there are certain things that we know Mm. based on the information we've been given in the Scriptures. And to some degree or another, we have staked our eternity on that. And sometimes our experience gets in an argument with that knowledge. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And maybe sometimes our knowledge, like I'm thinking about the way we've been taught to analyze the world Sometimes our knowledge gets in the way of experiencing God's presence because we're looking for a very real physical thing sometimes that isn't there or Mm -hmm. we're looking for the same kind of evidence that maybe we look for in a court case or something like that. And God's more mysterious Mm -hmm. depending on what context we're in. 
Well, all of us need reassurance sometimes, whether or it's all the time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or or all the time, but in different ways and in yeah. different things. I mean, I think about when my kids were playing little league and I was coaching them and you know, it'd be their turn to get up to bat and the game's on the line and everybody's staring at them. I can't do this. I can't do this. Listen, remember when we went to the batting cage the other night? You remember hitting the ball all those times? Yeah. Okay, you can do this. Remember, mm. you've done it already once. And okay, I'll go out and try. You know, okay, that's all I ask. They use the expression, hey, you got to coach them up. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of coaching somebody up is reassuring them that they have what's necessary for that moment, Right. And so we've been looking through this series of conversations in Romans 8 and the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the pieces of this work of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit assures us or reassures us. And it's right on the heels of what we looked at yesterday. So let's pick up again with verse 14 and read through verse 17. Who'd like to read that for us? I can. Okay. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Hmm. That's another one of those really kind of dense couple of verses where there's a lot of stuff packed in there. But part of what's packed in there is this whole spirit of adoption Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. And I take that very personally because my wife was adopted and and I know what that meant to her when we were first dating and we'd been dating a few months. So I'd already kind of figured out she was the one. I don't know that she was even remotely as far along as I was at that (laughs) moment, but Her dad asked me to go fishing with him, and I did. And we were driving in the car, and he was being really quiet. And I said, what's on your mind? And he said, did you know that Marlene's adopted? And I said, yeah. He said, well, how did you know? Well, she told me. Like on our second date, Mm -hmm. she told me. He said, she did? I said, yeah. Oh. And he sat quietly for a while. And then he said, did she ever say anything about wanting to find her real parents? Mm. And I said, she told me that you guys chose her out of a whole room full of kids and that you chose her to be part of your family, and as far as she's concerned, you are her real parents. And he just sat there and started crying. He needed that reassurance Mm. that she loved being in their family as much as they loved her being there. That spirit of adoption is a real thing, and the spirit of adoption is one of identification, it's one of status, it's one of position, And we have been given a spirit of adoption so that his spirit bears witness with or reassures our spirit that we are children of God. Now, when might be a time that we might need that kind of reassurance? All the time. (laughs) I feel like I keep saying that, but... That's okay. Okay, maybe I'm going a little too old school here, but have you ever had doubts about your relationship with God? Doubts about whether you're really saved? Am I really a believer? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that one of the things I love about this chapter is that it's both intellectually true and Mm -hmm. experientially. Like one, the fact that I can put my faith in the fact that he 
has adopted me, right? That's the mm-hmm. kind of spiritual truth. But then verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's the experiential part. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like I can think about when I reflect on my salvation story, when I reflect on the way that I respond to worship or Mm -hmm. to the word or to fellowship. There's just something there that Mm -hmm. I can't, that I'm not conjuring up. Mm -hmm. And even Mm -hmm. if I'm not feeling it at the moment, I can reflect back on when I did. Mm -hmm. And that that is a reminder to me of something Mm -hmm. unique. It seems to me that that at least in my experience, and I'm completely resonating with everything you said, Russell, but it seems to me in my experience in those times when I'm struggling with my faith or doubts about my faith, those are the moments where God brings somebody into my life for me to tell my story too. Mm. Mm. And by telling that story, it kind of refreshes Mm. those things. On another angle, as you're asking that question, I don't know that I've struggled recently with, am I really a Christian? But I continue to struggle ongoingly with, does God really love me? You know, Mm. really (laughs) kind of a thing. And the Holy Spirit pulls me back into that awareness over and over that I really am God's child, that he doesn't see me through what I see myself through. And for me, it's important that I identify that need and have it reassured in order to be the kind of mother and grandmother and wife and friend that I need to be. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, I'm projecting those doubts on my relationships. I want my children, I want my husband to know without a shadow of a doubt that I love them even with their warts. And so if I don't understand that about myself with God, I can't give that kind of love to Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Elisa. Um, I've found in my life that those senses of God's presence have come mostly in pretty peaceful moments. And I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not saying this is prescriptive for others, but where I'm alone and quiet. And it's occurred to me a lot in the last few years how very few still quiet moments we have. And so I've wondered if some of my Hmm. doubts of God's presence and realness and Hmm. my relationship with him often are tied to how busy and hurried I am because I don't have as much space to be quiet and rest with him. And so I think there might be something to that too, at least Mm -hmm. for me. The other thing I would say too is, I think my expectation coming into Christianity, and I grew up in a Christian home, but I think growing up, it was kind of this assumption, expectation, something that God would always like have his arms around me in a very deep and personal way. And as I've grown up as an adult, I've realized how rare those moments actually are. That it's actually, I don't sense God's presence all the time. And those times when I do, it makes them much more sweet. And again, I'm just speaking personally. So that's the reason I doubt a lot and ask a lot of questions. Mm. But God has been gracious in several times that I can count Mm. where he's shown up in a very real personal Mm. way. So just so I understand clearly what you're saying, it's not so much the reality of his presence, it's your awareness of it that you struggle with. Yeah, or maybe he hides himself in some way to invite me into some deeper experience of who he really is or something too that I don't quite have an awareness of yet as well. Not in a mean way, but in a kind, loving way. Yeah, okay, good. Well... There are times when 
of all of the things we've seen so far in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf, there are times that this is the one that is just, to me, the most critical. Hmm. Because once my heart is once again confident in my relationship with the Father, everything else just kind of seems to fall into place. All the other kind of micro fears Mm kind of get put in place once that reassurance of my relationship with the Father is there because he's so much greater than all those other things. Yeah, and the thing that I also appreciate is there's a certain mutuality there. Like in John 14, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, right? And he sets up this expectation of the Spirit's presence who was going to teach them of all things, bring things to remembrance. But then there's this other side of what happens when we, our spirits, testify that we are God's children. And so when I married my wife, Tamika, she already had a daughter, um, Ariana. So I became a father, adoptive father and husband at the same time. And I remember about two months before the wedding, we had gone down to North Carolina to visit Tamika's mom. And we were walking in the park and she just kind of says, oh, you see that over there, daddy? And she just kind of like oh. throws it out there yeah. just to <laughs> see how I respond. And I, was, and I just remember it was the best gift mm. that I ever got yeah. that it wasn't like, okay, this is the new scenario. This is who I am to you. It was, this is what I want to be true yeah. mm. of you. And that's the type of sharing in Christ that we have the opportunity mm. to reflect back the choice of what it means for us to embrace mm. being an heir and, mm. a, and you know with him you know i think one of the things that we're discovering in these conversations about the holy spirit is how personally mm-hmm. and individually yeah. the spirit works mm-hmm. in each of our lives there really isn't a one size fits all this is what the spirit does and he always does it this way no each one of us have described very That's different right. yeah. ways in which the spirit has engaged our lives and in the same way that Ariana said to you, Daddy, we cry, Abba, Father, because we have the Spirit as well. Yeah, affirmation, uh, encouragement, reassurance. Those are some of the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Romans 8.16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Well, that's an important part of this study of what we find in Romans chapter 8 about the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we are closing in on the end of our hour, and uh, we have just one segment left in which they'll talk about how the Holy Spirit is our source of strength and help when we face difficult times in life, and how He intercedes for us when we have no clue how to pray or how to respond. That part of the conversation will follow this preview which looks ahead to our next podcast. You know, my guess is when you wake up in the morning, one of the first things you do is look at a clock. Am I right? One of your first thoughts is, what time is it? And then throughout the day, you check your watch or you check your phone often to see what time it is. Your day is highly influenced by time. And so next time on Discover the Word, we're going to talk about time and the Bible. What do we know about how the Old Testament and the New Testament view time? Well, we mentioned that just even the idea of 24 hours and 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour and things like that is just 
that didn't exist yet. Yeah. People hadn't figured out to try to calculate time in that way. Yeah, very different understanding of it. And yet, when we read scripture, we see people still struggling mm-hmm. with what we say is time, you know, with the past, the present, the future, with waiting, with seasons of life, with the perspective of what we do in the different seasons. And so if their question is still our question, what time is it? Then pull a chair up with the Discover the Word group for a study called It's About Time. And now the conclusion of this study of Romans chapter 8 and the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, we've spent this series of conversations trying to dig around a little bit into Romans chapter 8. And I've loved Romans 8 for a long time, but I now have a better understanding why it's your favorite (laughs) chapter, Russell. Um, We've been focusing specifically on what Romans 8 has to say about the work of the Holy Spirit. And in addition to the fact that the Holy Spirit enables our walk, which we saw in the very opening verses of the chapter, what are some other things the Spirit does for us? Mm. Well, we talked just recently about how he reassures us, mm-hmm. and boy, do we need that. You know, just reassures us day in, day out, and so personally, as you yeah. pointed out, Bill, you know, in, in a way I need it, or you need it, Russell, or Daniel needs it. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. He leads and guides us like a yeah. tour guide, mm-hmm. uh, helping mm-hmm. us to experience the terrain and lead us into just great places and mm-hmm. insights and experiences with God. And then he dwells in us, mm. yeah. whatever that means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, to me, that might be the most kind of... Mysterious kind yeah, of... Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's the right word. That's the most mysterious. Because if you try to explain that to someone who's not a follower of Christ, it just sounds weird. Well, and I think that's why we, we bump each other, because we think the way God indwells in me is the way he's going to dwell in you, and mm-hmm. we try to formalize it. And the reality is it's very personal. Yeah, that's right. And I would say that, you know, I grew up with the scriptures. And I think it's just been recently that God's been helping me just see how weird some of these ideas Mm -hmm. actually sound. I mean, honestly, I've been a Christian a long time, but the language of him dwelling in me just, that feels weird. And it should. I think sometimes we get too used to some of these things, like as if we've got our minds around them. And I think these conversations are helping Mm -hmm. remind us that, yeah, the Spirit's also described as the wind that blows here and Mm -hmm. there and as mysterious and Mm -hmm. stuff like that too. That's good. Well, we come to our final one today, and this is probably the most well-known. I'm not saying it's the most understood. I'm just saying it's probably the most familiar of these works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's found in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Elisa, would you read those for us? You bet. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Okay, stop right there. Mm -hmm. Isn't that nice to know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's that's handy to have. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. And just incidentally, long ago, I, I read that and looked it up, and that word helps means to carry a heavy load. Yeah. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so every text we've looked at in this chapter has been jammed with really big ideas. Here, there's a bunch of big ideas, starting with the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Second, the acknowledgement. We don't always know how to pray the way we should. We don't know what to pray for. Then the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, which is an odd statement. And then he makes intercession for the saints according to God's will. Now, those are some big ideas. Any of those in particular that jump out to you particularly? <laughs> Everything. 
Well, I think about how quick we are in prayer to start speaking words. Mm. And this should make all of us pause for a moment. Maybe I should just be quiet in God's presence for a moment, trusting that God actually knows what's going on better than I do. It doesn't mean we can't use words, but Mm. our default is to start talking. Sure. And maybe our default instead should be just sitting in God's presence or being quiet and trusting that actually the Spirit's going to pray for me or him or whatever better than I can anyway. Mm. So I'm just going to trust God to do that work. I know what you're saying, and I think it's rich. If I'm just silent, I have a hard time knowing anything's going on. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I will pray something or just say something like spirit, like that kind of a thing. And I don't know, it helps me trust that something's happening. (laughs) I I don't (laughs) even, I mean, to be honest, like sometimes I wouldn't even know if I would define what I'm doing is praying if I'm not saying anything, Mm. you know, even though consciously I know that there's a communion, communion, right? Mm. Like, but I think in my default mode, if I'm real, like I'm like, the praying is when I speak. So it doesn't count in other words. Right. (laughs) So like the sitting and being still and allowing the spirit to commune with Mm -hmm. me is in and of itself a challenging idea. Yeah. I think it's actually one of the most overwhelming concepts in all the Bible that the spirit intercedes on our behalf. Add to that, the book of Hebrews says of Jesus that he ever lives to make intercession for us. So we have both the Spirit and the Son interceding on our behalf to the Father, which means when we pray, we're getting a lot of help, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether we recognize it in the moment or not. So you literally have the Spirit praying for us, Jesus Mm -hmm. interceding, and the Father saying that he will hear. Yeah. I mean, think of that. The entire Mm -hmm. Trinity activates when we pray. And we just think it's all about us. Don't, I mean, like what you just said, Russell, you know, we think it's, I've got to be uttering words yeah. and I've got to make this count for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and a certain amount of days. Well, and part of prayer is making our requests. I mean, the Bible talks about prayer, you know, as making requests, as saying things in prayer. And we, we have a record of prayers mm-hmm. in the True. book of Psalms. Yeah. Where people use words <laughs> to express things. Take away our words and you lose a good portion of the Bible. That's yeah. True. yeah, take away words and prayer. Yeah. The other thing that jumps out as we're thinking about the Spirit praying for us and like us just being quiet is 27 says, in God who searches the heart. Yeah. Right? So there's like this awareness that even when we're not saying what's on our hearts, that God is aware of what's going on inside of us, probably better than even we know ourselves. I know mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how hard it is sometimes to know what our motives are or whatever's really going on in us or why we do certain things. God knows all those mm-hmm. things. And so there's like this sense, it's very freeing to think that some of the most effective prayer is me being quiet because the Spirit's interceding and God's searching my heart. And you add to that the fact that as the Spirit intercedes, he makes intercession according to the will of God. Yeah. Now, every survey that's ever been done of Christian young people around the world, what's the number one thing that they want? They want to know know the the will will of God. God. Well, the Holy Spirit already knows the will Mm -hmm. of God, Mm -hmm. and he is the one who's interceding on our behalf according to that will. Let me ask something, because a couple of things I'm, I'm wrestling with. Like, one, there's a part where it's like, why intercede? Like, why would the Spirit pray for me versus just answering the prayer that I've already prayed and especially when you bring in the fact that Jesus also intercedes like that's a lot of that's like a lot of high octane yeah why don't they just do it when they just don't do it <laughs> yeah and I mean we can all struggle with this together 
To me, that's a statement on how difficult it is to get out of my own way when I'm praying. I get so consumed with the way I think things ought to be. I need that much help for my prayers to really echo the heart of the Father that I'm praying Mm -hmm. to. And I think about the process itself is what draws us to God. And if the answers came immediately, would we cling to him the way we do? Mm. You know, another topic that grabs me in this is the groanings. And there's all kinds of stuff written on it. You see groanings all through scripture, you know, all kinds of Mm -hmm. groanings for different reasons. But the one that really hit me is you think about, and we're doing it right now as we're talking together, as we're listening to each other. Russell, I was listening to you, and then I started talking about the deepening relationship that comes from the the work to cling, and you went, "Mm, mm." Mm hmm. You know, and Mm -hmm. Bill just, "Mm." you know, maybe that's an element of the groaning that the Spirit assures us we're not alone in this process, that this is a conversation, that he's with us. I mean, he says, we learned that he dwells in us. Mm -hmm. Maybe the groanings is partly that. Yeah, and not only that he's with us, but I think part of the heart of intercession is carrying one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. So what we have here is God himself saying, I will carry your burdens with you. Helping us in our weaknesses. Right, and Mm -hmm. so it's like this essence of God carrying us as intercession. Which is a pretty amazing thing. I think God just helped me out. Because the heading in many translations of this chapter is life in the spirit. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, what if the point of our journey isn't the destination, but what if it's the engagement with the deeper diving into what it means to experience the spirit of God? And that's why the goal isn't always, oh, he just prayed, Mm -hmm. Rasul just prayed this, let's just give the answer to the prayer. It's Mm -hmm. actually something much deeper than that, which is intimacy. Yeah. Frederick Beatner, I think, is the one who said prayers are not answered, not so much because there's no way for you to get to God, but it's that until you beat the path to God, God has no way of getting to you. Mm. Isn't that powerful? And, you know, crisis, of course, already beat the path to God, but, you know, we choose to cooperate there and and journey toward God. And And experientially, mm -hmm. that's how we get there. Well, as we've looked through Romans 8 this week, it's a fantastic chapter. We could probably do numerous weeks of conversations well, we on even Romans 8. we didn't get to my favorite part about nothing can separate yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, uh, except for to, to just very lightly remind us that it begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation, yeah. mm-hmm. which I think is just fabulous. Yeah. And um, maybe that's really the heart behind one of the most famous verses mm-hmm. about all things working for yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit working in our lives the way he does. So thanks for jumping in on these conversations. I hope that our listeners sense the little bit of messiness that's in it, because again, the one thing we don't want to communicate is that there's some formulaic one, two, three, four step plan to the Holy Spirit engaging our lives. No, the Holy Spirit is engaged in our lives. How we are choosing to respond and experience that comes down to whether or not we're going to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. And so I just trust that the Lord will bring us back to Romans 8 over and over again, just to remind us he loves us so much. Not only did he give his son for us, but he has invested the spirit into our lives to this degree as a continuing reminder of his great love. a great discussion based in Romans chapter 8 about the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Bill Crowder prepared the material and led the conversation, which also featured insight from Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And when you give a financial gift, your donation provides the fuel that's needed to help accomplish that mission. You can give a gift when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. Look for the Donate tab that's up there at the top of the page at discovertheword.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. 